Thank you. Well, it is, uh, again, Mother's Day, and so we're going to take some time out to uh, speak about and to and of mothers. Of course, at Mother's Day, we can so often think of uh, various experiences in our life. There was the mother uh, putting her little one to bed, and uh, the next day would be the fifth birthday. And so she was kind of trying to build some anticipation. I'm not sure the wisdom about getting someone all excited just before they go to bed. But, but anyway, she walked through that and she said, so, so how old are you today? And, and she, they often did this and he held up his four fingers. One, two, three, four. And she said, that's right. And, and, and how old will you be tomorrow? And he held out his hand and said, I'll be a handful. <laughs> And then there was the teacher that was trying to, you know, you teachers, you know how it is when you're teaching and trying to explain some things. And she was teaching the lesson on, on magnets, you know, doing, being a good teacher. You know, hold it, show it how it pick up, you know, all kinds of little metal, metal objects and all that. And, and I know what this is like sometimes you, then you give the exam. And, um, and so the next day she wrote out a little exam and say, okay, in, in, in second grade fashion, um, I pick up things. My, I, I am spelled with six letters and it begins with M. Who am I? Half the class answered mother. <laughs> and I don't know, perhaps uh, maybe this, the uh, roses today will be a rescue to some of you. See, Mom, I've got a flower for you. But there were the two little boys that, uh, you know, young kids that wanted to go get their mom some flowers for Mother's Day. And they, they gave her this little bouquet and they were a little embarrassed and... And um, said, so, Mom, we, we, this is all we could afford. Well, there was this beautiful bouquet there, and we wanted to get it for you, uh, but we couldn't afford it. But it was beautiful, it was big, and it had right across it, rest in peace. <laughs> and we thought so often you said that you just wanted a little peace so you could rest, and, and we thought you would have liked that. <laughs> oh. One last one to husband mentioned to his wife there she was you know at the baby caring for the little one and he said I know you're having a lot of trouble with the baby dear but just keep in mind the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world and she replied how about you taking over the world for a few hours so I can go shopping <laughs> <laughs> when we come to a time like Mother's Day and other special occasions sometimes it's good to step back and and I like to look at uh, a, a, a woman who is, uh, who is a godly example to us, a, a woman who can challenge us. And as I, as I thought of a, a woman of faith that, that was a challenge, my mind uh, turned to Sarah. Sarah. Now, if you look at the outline in the back of your Bible, you know how I like to uh, give verse-by-verse exposition. So you notice the first point is chapter 12 of Genesis, verses 1 through 5. Then the next section will be chapter 12, verse 6 through chapter 20, verse 18. Don't panic. We're not going verse by verse. We're going to hit some main topics, if you will. But we're going to look at the life of Sarah. And and the reason I felt like she would be a a good one is really looking at the book of Hebrews. You know, chapter 11 is called the, uh, the, um, the Great Hall of Faith. It's been called the Westminster Abbey of, of faith. You know, Westminster Abbey where the heroes are, are buried. But 
you see in chapter 11, we're told faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Uh, it speaks about by faith we understand how the worlds were framed, by faith. And then we see that if you walk through Hebrews 11, you see again and again that expression, by faith, Abel, verse 4. By faith, Enoch, verse 5. By, verse 7, by faith, Noah, verse 8. By faith, Abraham, verse 11. By faith, Sarah. And, and it goes on as you go through the chapter, more and more examples being, being an example. And what they're saying, if you look at it, in each case, the faith is described as, as evidenced, as reflected in the behavior of the man or woman of faith. In other words, it's not the, the doing that earns God's approval, but the doing is the evidence of faith. And that fits well with doesn't in the next book over in James. Well, James would say, you know, if you believe, show me your faith by what you do. Faith is the evidence. And so I'd like to just kind of walk through the life of Sarah and, and bring out some points, if I may. In Genesis chapter 12, uh, Genesis chapter 12, oh, verses 1 to 5 is our, what our outline says. But let me just read the first few verses of that. Now the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abraham, Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him. And we're told that Abram was 75 years old. And if you follow through the accounts, uh, Sarah is 10 years younger than Abram. So if, if he was 75, then think about it for a while. That means she was about 65. Good, you're with me. So, uh, so there they are. And when I, when I read this passage and think about it, I'm reminded of what Genesis says earlier about marriage. You know, in marriage, you're to leave and cleave. They were, the man's to leave his family and cleave to his wife. Well, in a sense, that's what God is doing with Abram. He's to leave the family and, and cleave to the Lord as they go to the new land of promise. Acts chapter 7, Stephen talking about this, uh, kind of expresses what happened and reviews this in, in Acts chapter 7, verses uh, 2 and 3. Stephen says, Brethren and fathers, listen, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he dwelt in Haran and said to him, get out of your country from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. No, so, so Stephen fills in some detail. We're told that, that God spoke to Abram in Genesis and we're told that he said, you know, leave your family, come. In Acts, Stephen fills in and says, the God of glory appeared to him. The God of glory appeared to him. Now, context. Now, the, <clears throat> Abraham at the time was living in the city of Ur. That's in the lower regions of, of uh, the southern regions of Mesopotamia. And God it appeared to Abram and said, leave everything and follow me. Now, we need to remember the context spiritually. In Joshua chapter 24, verses 2 and 3, Verse 2, I'll just read. Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Joshua 24, 2. Your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, 
and the father of Nahor dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. Abram, Abraham, his name was, he started, remember, his name was first Abram, and they, they, later God changed his name to um, Abraham. Abram means exalted father, Abraham, father of a multitude. But when God called him, he was worshiper of idols among a people of, that were worshippers of idols and a family of worshippers of idols. And God said to him, leave them, cleave to me. And Abraham left the idols behind and, and he cleaved to God. And Sarah shared in that. She with him, leaving behind not just family, but the idolatry and the pagan worship of their culture and their family to follow the one true living God. And so, in doing that, showed incredible faith. Matter of fact, in Hebrews chapter 11 again. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. <clears throat> and I always want to add, maybe if I do a modern translation someday, and he would ask no one for directions. <laughs> but he went out, you know, and, and that's faith. One, leave, leave your family. Leave the security of that. Now, Ur was a major ancient city. Uh, the Sumerians had been there. And, and it was a, it was a, it was, he was telling them to leave city life. And after he, he goes for a while with Terah, his father, up to Haran, that's going kind of up the, um, the Mesopotamian region and up the Fertile Crescent. They live there until Terah dies. Then they go into Can the, the land of Canaan, the land of the Canaanites. And from then on, Abram and his family lived in tents. They were city dwellers. But they wandered from place to place. And the only land he owned, God showed him a land of promise. But it was, it was just that. It was just promise. The only land he owned was the grave cave he purchased where he buried Sarah. You can go to the town of Hebron today in Israel. And you can go to the place. There's a building that was built, goes back to the days of King Herod. And underneath that is the burial place, the cave of Abram and Sarah and others. That's the only land he ever actually owned. And so God, by faith, said, leave and cleave to me. And Abram did. He believed and followed, and Sarah shared that faith and followed with him. Hebrews 8 tells us then that this was the beginning of faith. Or as, as Stephen said, God appeared to him and said, leave these and follow me. And Abraham did. So God, and, and the scriptures make clear, was it, and, and frankly there, there are legends out there, well, Abraham didn't like the idolatry of his family, Abraham rejected. No, God came to an idol worshiper and called him to himself. That's grace. And the response was the, the response, hearing God's word and believing. That's faith. He followed the Lord in obedience. The obedience didn't, didn't earn him salvation. The, the obedience was the evidence of his faith. And Paul talks about the fact that what happened with Abraham is true of everyone who believes in Jesus Christ. We're called out of darkness into light. 
We were born in spiritual darkness, but God's word invades our darkness and brings us into light and life. And our response is to be the same as Abraham. Leaving our false beliefs, the worshiping of other gods. And we might say, well, you know, I don't worship idols. But have you ever talked to someone that said, well, the God I worship, and fill in the blank. The God I worship uh, wants me wealthy and healthy. The God I worship uh, would never do this or that. The God I worship um, sounds a lot like Santa Claus. You know, the God I worship, well, that's an idol. You, you, are, you are in your imagination creating what God should be like instead of saying, um, this is the God who is. So we are all called to leave behind the God, the, the idols of our imagination and follow the one true living God, to follow Christ in faith and trusting, receiving his promise. We go forth uh, on a promise that our sins are forgiven through Christ and that we have a home in heaven. And the book of Hebrews talks about the, so many of what we call the, the heroes of the faith. They, they had the promise, but they didn't, never actually received it. They, Abraham wandered through the land of promise, and God saying, this is all going to be yours. But really, he said, it's going to be your descendants. And so to him, it was all the land of promise. But Hebrews talks about the fact that they had a hope for a city that man doesn't build. And so the Christian life is to be one of faith that believes in God's promise and lives in its reality. Sarah joined Abraham on this journey. And it might have been challenging because it says that it, God spoke to Abraham, not to Sarah, but she believed the message revealed from Abraham. What a challenge. We're going to leave family. We're going to leave the idols. We're going to leave the city. And we're going to follow God. And he said to her, and she might have said to him, I mean, and where will that be? And he said, I don't know. For right now, we're supposed to head north. It reminds me as I think about that, the, when I asked Barb to marry me, I confessed to her, you know, I was in seminary, didn't know what the Lord would have. And I said, I told her, I don't know where the Lord's going to lead me. And so what I'm asking you to do is sign a blank check. I've reminded her of that over the years. <laughs> you signed a blank check. <laughs> and we don't really know. But, you know, when we come to know the Lord and follow him, every one of us signs a blank check. And say, Lord, you fill it in the way you want. We'll follow you. Because the issue is, what we have is you. All I have is Christ. That's more than enough. All I have is Christ. Christ is all. And I have all. But I think of her. It must have been hard. And so she's a model of courageous faith. You know, we think of some of the heroes of the faith. One of the ones that comes to mind is Elizabeth Elliot and the others who went off into the jungle uh, to, to reach uh, an unreached people. When her husband was killed by the very people they were trying to reach, what did she do? She went into that village to live among them. And so many would say, you know, she, she left behind the comforts of North America. She left behind the comforts of the city. She went, left behind the comforts of medical facilities down the street. They did not even have 
internet in the jungle. <laughs> she left it all and had everything in Christ. And so, like I said, these, these are the mothers of the faith to all of us. Sarah is one of them. And then my second point, and this is the long section we're not going to get all into, but all the details verse by verse, but the faith, she was, yes, a woman faithful in leaving, but also faithful though faltering. If we read through Genesis, if you read through the Bible, any of the heroes you can think of, they have their stumbling points. They have their stumbles and their failings. You can think of the example of a David. You can think of so many others, and you can think of Abraham. But we're going to focus on Sarah, and she had her faltering faith, her stumbles. Now, the first one that comes to mind is what I call the, the Hagar debacle. In chapter 16, uh, we, we read, Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. And Abraham had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. So now we're giving a little chronology. He was 75 when he came into the land of Canaan. For ten years, God's promised him, I'm going to give you a land and I'm going to give you... Uh, a nation will come from you. Ten years later, they don't own the land and they don't even have one child. He's 85, Sarah's 75. Sarah believed the promise of God. And so she just said, so she said, Abram, God promised you children. It must not include me. I'll give you a clue. If God promises to give you children, the way God's going to want to do that is through marriage. And so that should have been clear. If he told you, uh, you're going to have children, that means I'm going to have children. But she, ten, you know, she's getting older. I'm not going to say old. She was only 75. <coughs> but she's uh, not seeing any children. And so she defaults to what everybody else did. You know, when we read this, this sounds absolutely crazy and bizarre. Here's my maid, raise a child from my maid. But in that culture, that was actually common practice. If, you did, if the wife could not have any children, she would give her maid to the husband, and that child would be considered her child. So it was, um, it was legal, and it was socially and culturally accepted. It was standard practice. Uh, to quote the common phrase that many a youth has said to their parent, everybody's doing it. And again, what is what the biblical answer to that? If everybody's jumping off a bridge, would you jump off a bridge? You know, it's, we are not to be guided by what everybody's doing. She must have been grieving over her lack of children. And that culture in particular shamed by that lack of children as if something how she had done something wrong. And so she comes to Abram with this plan that everybody else would have approved. As a matter of fact, I'm sure after 10 years, uh, people were saying to him, why aren't you doing something like this? Why don't you get some more wives? Why don't you do this or that? 
what she did was legally and culturally accepted and normal practice. But here's the warning to us. What she did was wrong. That was not God's plan for how to have a family. And just because the culture around us is doing something, and even if something is legal, that doesn't mean it's morally right. We need to be careful in that distinction. So here are two pressures. One, it's, 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 in, it's, it's, it's legal. People, it's in the law. You can do this. And everybody around me is doing this. But the real question is, what does the Bible say? But we constantly face that pressure because we live in this world. And we, if we, the more time we spend in this world, the more what the world does seems normal. And I often say that's why God gives us church. This is where we can kind of recalibrate. We, we get together with other believers and we encourage one another in the biblical standard. She was buying into what the culture was saying and doing. But there's the reminder, just because it's legal, just because it's socially acceptable or even normal, that doesn't make it right or good. Proverbs, 3, 30, Proverbs chapter 30, verse 12. There is a generation that is pure in its own eyes. It is not washed from its filthiness. So, and I think we live in such a generation. It has, our, our generation has a, a whole new perspective on what is pure and right. But in God's eyes, it's filthiness. We need to be willing to not be dragged into what our culture says, but rather, what does the God tell us? He's the one who made us. He's the one who designed us. He's the one who is righteous and holy. God's will must be done God's way, not ours. Sarah was trying to help God. There's a warning to us. When you find, well, well let me help God here. You're probably stepping into thin ice. God doesn't need our help. God wants our faith and obedience. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Well, it seemed like the right thing to do, but is it God's thing to do? Sarah had a very challenging situation. She knew that God had promised children, or a child at least, and it was taking too long. That must have been an exasperating wait, five, ten years of wandering through this land, being told they would have a, a nation coming from them. What would the right response be? It would be to pray and to continue to follow God's plan. But instead, she was going to help God out. She broke from God's plan for marriage and children because she wasn't trusting God's control. Our calling is to trust God and do what is right and leave the consequences to God. God will accomplish his will in our lives. God will fulfill his purposes when we trust God and do what God's will is. For the mothers among us, your, your calling as a mother is a constant challenge in this area because um, you're in the business of molding lives. 
That's one of the most challenging areas of life. You know, fixing cars, building buildings, uh, whatever it might be, is leading a, a business is not nearly as challenging as guiding a heart, molding a life, building values in, and faith into a soul. When struggles come up, it's tempting to fix the problems with our culture's wisdom. Again, if we follow God's way, we're going to stand out as different. Because Sarah didn't trust the Lord. She took matters into her own hands. And Abram, well, he made the mistake of listening to bad counsel from his wife. Sometimes we've got to say to one another, no, I don't think that's what the Lord would have us do. We need to have the courage to do that with one another. And so she came up with a plan. It was legal. It was acceptable. They did that. Hagar had a child. If you go on and read, there was nothing but conflict. I love how just it doesn't very, uh, seems like just a few later, uh, verses later, she's saying to Abraham, look what you've done. And I always imagine Abraham, I can't win for losing. <laughs> I did exactly what you told me to do, and now it's my fault. <laughs> but there was conflict between Hagar and Sarah, and eventually between Hagar's son and Sarah's son. In fact, what was that, about 2,000 years before Christ? So 4,000 years later, that conflict continues. Hagar's son is the father of the Arabic people. And look at the conflict. Even today, I haven't read the news this morning, but as of yesterday, hundreds of missiles are flying out of... Uh, uh, the sons of Hagar into Israel. The conflict continues. It does not pay to do things our way. No, we don't do it because it's going to make us, you know, frankly, following Christ can often be a very hard way to go. But it's the right way, and the long term fruit is there the sweet fruit of God's holiness. Sometimes if we plant a seed of our own choosing, we may not like the fruit that that tree will bear. So she faltered. She was a woman of faith. It all started because she believed God wanted them to have children. But that, and then she broke with that and said, so I'm going to help him. So that's her faltering of faith. And then my next point, my little sub-point, it's not in your outline, but I put it in here. Laughter isn't always the best medicine. In chapter 18, the Lord appeared to Abram by the terebinth trees of Mamre. And as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day, so he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, the three men were standing by him, and he saw them, and he ran from his tent meeting. Here's where the Lord and two angels come to meet Abraham. Verse 9 and following, the Lord said, where is Sarah, your wife? And so he said, here in the tent. Remember, when you're reading along in your Bible, whenever God asks a question, God does not ask questions because he needs information. God is asking a question to accomplish a purpose. And so what he's saying is, uh, I have a message for Sarah. Now, in this context, you know, if men come, the man would go out to, to deal with them. But Sarah's in the tent. Um, they didn't have well-insulated tent walls. 
So she would hear everything that was being said. So I said, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. Behold, Sarah, your, your wife shall have a son. I'll come back to you next year, and your wife will have a son. Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age. Now uh, she's 90, and he's nearly, and he's 99. And Sarah heard what the Lord was telling Abraham out there in front of the tent. And verse 12 tells us of Genesis 18, Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I have grown old, and shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? Saying, Surely I shall bear a child since I am old. Shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah will have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And the Lord said, But you did laugh. Well, there's so much we could draw out of this, but, but we see her response was a laughter. Now, again, the message he was speaking, you know, he was, he was talking to Sarah. Is Sarah here? She's right there in the tent. Now, earlier... When, when, when Abraham heard about the baby, he delighted with laughter. Chapter 17, verse 17, Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? That was the laugh, uh, laughter of, of joy and wonder. For example, you might take an exam and you think, I'm not sure how this is going to turn out. And it comes back, you've got 100 on it. And you laugh, <laughs> how could that be? That's amazing. Or you, um, you're figuring out your taxes, and all of a sudden, oh, I got a huge refund, and you laugh with joy. So his, it, his was not a laughter of, of denial. Sure, hers was, oh, come on, you've got to be kidding me. Sarah, Abraham's 100, I'm 90. I'm going to have a child? Put in perspective, you go to a local nursing home, and you come up to some dear lady sitting in a chair there, and she says, this time next year, I'm going to have a baby. Oh, grandbaby? No, no, I'm going to have a baby. And you look at her, and she's 90 years old. What do you do? Well, in your heart, you're laughing. What you do, you may pat her hand and say, that's nice. But in other words, you're, what a silly thought. This lady's not going to have Can you imagine? It kind of reminds me, remember when Mary, the mother of Jesus, was going to have a baby, and she was told Elizabeth's going to have a baby. We're told Elizabeth... She didn't tell anyone she was pregnant for a while. Because, again, she was older. Not as old as Sarah here, but she was older. And, you know, you know your friend who's 55, 60 years old said, I'm going to have a baby. I'm, I'm going to have a baby. And, again, you think, oh, you've been, it's, you've been out in the sun, Elizabeth. It's, it's kind of hard. So she didn't even bother telling anyone until she was showing. And they said, okay, guess what? We've got a baby coming. That's amazing. It is. But Sarah, she laughs in unbelief, and the Lord rebukes her, and then she denies it. Her laughter is one of mockery and unbelief. And you can tell that because when she denies she laughed, when the Lord confronts her. You know, no, she knew it was wrong. It was, not a, it was not the joyous laugh. This was the unbelieving laugh. And he reaffirms his promise of a child to Abraham and Sarah. He says it'll be within a year. So trusting faith takes God in his word. 
Weak faith doubts his, he is able to overcome the circumstances of life. Now, we can't always say, you know, some people walk around, it's going to be okay. Well, actually, it may not be okay. It may get worse. I'm reminded when I say that of the fellow that was a conference speaker all over the country and people would come up to him and say, oh, would you please pray for me? Okay, how do you want me to pray? Oh, I've got this terrible situation. Would you pray for me? And he put his hand on their shoulder and say, and start praying that God would make it worse. And I said, what are you doing? He said, well, how are you going to grow in character if you don't go through some challenges? I imagine that probably reduced the people asking him to pray for them. But in other words, we're not saying it's going to be all easy life if but we have to be careful but God had made a promise and faith believes the promise so mothers trust God ladies trust God don't evaluate his promises by what makes sense humanly speaking measure his promises by his faithful character and his infinite ability Now again, be careful. Some people want to claim promises that aren't in there. But look to the promises of God's word and trust him. He is able. A young couple's uh, class was in a church one time and they were studying the story of Abraham and, and Sarah who were in their 90s and 100 when they were blessed with a child. And so the teacher asked, what lesson do we learn from the story? A young mother of three who was having some financial difficulties blurted out. They waited until they could afford it. <laughs> so we've seen Sarah as a woman of faith. We, we see she could trust God. We see as a woman of faith, she could stumble. Did God, did, did God give up with, on her? Did God say, well, then forget it. I'm withdrawing my promise. Or, okay, let's go with the Hagar approach. We fail. We stumble. Parents are constantly aware of that. How easily we, can, we, could, we could write a book of the things we didn't do that we should have done, and the things we did do, we shouldn't have done. But God in his mercy is a God of forgiveness and grace. So he is with Sarah. So we see in my third point there, faithful and fulfilled. In chapter 21, verse 1 to 7, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abram a son in his old age at the set time of which God had spoken to him. See, when they left the promised land, he didn't tell them when. He just told them what. But now God has told them when. And when he says when, it's going to happen. Abram called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him. Emphasizing that as God had planned, he named him Isaac. And Abram circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old. As God had commanded. Sarah, Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh and all who hear will laugh with me. Now it's the laughter of joy. She also said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children for I have borne him a son in his old age. 
They named him Isaac. And that in the Hebrew means either he will laugh or laughter. So they both laughed at the announcement. And now they're both laughing with joy. You know, you can imagine everybody that went by the tent and saw Sarah nursing that baby just thought, that's incredible. Laughter. My Hebrew professor uh, called Isaac laughing boy. And now his name reminded them of the joy and surprise of God's grace. Back to the book of Hebrews where we started. Chapter 11 is the chapter of promise. Chapter 11, verse 11 is where Sarah is mentioned. By faith, Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed. She bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Through her faith, through her trials, through the the anxious, the, the home the, the, the wandering without a, a fixed home. Uh, through the long period of where is this child of promise, it's no longer possible. She grew in her faith. She learned she could trust the Lord even when it didn't seem reasonable. Mothers, you too need to, and, and ladies among us, you, like all of us, you need to, to learn to grow in your faith, learn through the struggles of life that you can, you, you can trust God. There's so much that we cannot count on. But you can count on God. You can count on God. So what an encouragement is to see Sarah in this chapter. The Hall of Fame. The Hall of Faith. The Heroes uh, List. Wait a minute. She faltered. The Hagar thing, was, was, that was her idea. The laughing at the promise of God. She mocked the, the promise of God. Yes, she did all of that and more. And God still counts her a hero of faith. We can look in the mirror and see our failings. Or we can look in the mirror and see God's grace. God wants me to be us to be a spectacle of grace. So ladies among us, see that you are a vessel of God's grace for his glory. In fact, over in 1 Peter, Sarah is actually held up as a model. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 6, As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and not afraid of any terror. In other words, the greatest thing you can be is an imitator of Sarah, her daughter. And that's again, here's an example of spiritual motherhood. If you ladies are are following the Lord in faith and you're a daughter of of Sarah, she is is the one you're, you're following. And I challenge each and every one of you to be a Sarah to someone else. Someone could be, you know, the spiritual disciple of you, learning from your example. She sees, she, Sarah is seen as an example, a model for women of faith. Not perfect. Again, I emphasize this. And yet, a model to be followed. <clears throat> Mothers and ladies among us, the Lord knows your weaknesses, so don't be discouraged. 
Let your weaknesses remind you of your, his strength and your need of him. See, when we look in that mirror and say, well, I failed. There's so much I cannot see myself doing. It's not about me. It's about him. That's his glory. Also, let's all take the lesson from Sarah. God's way is best. Our way makes a mess. It's especially true in our relationship to Jesus Christ. Our way is to try to be good enough to get to heaven. Go out and talk to your neighbors. Um, oh, I, I'm trying hard. I think, I think I've got a chance. Or maybe, well, everybody goes to heaven. I may have to, it might be a little harder or whatever. Our way is the way of destruction. We simply can't be good enough to deserve heaven. It has to be a gift. And that's the amazing thing. The gift is offered and received by faith. He's the way. We don't earn heaven. It's through Christ. He sees our guilt and instead of saying, forget them, he says, I'll pay for that guilt. I'll pay for that sin. I'll redeem that soul. And so he called, don't, don't try and do it on your own. Don't try and do it your way, but instead trust in God's provision. So I hold up for you today, Sarah. An example, a model to be followed, 1 Peter 3, 6. A woman of faith and courage. And God used her. We are still being blessed through the fruit of her labors. Literally, the fruit of her labor. And I just challenge you ladies to be a Sarah. A woman of faith. Patient. Patient to wait on the Lord to do it his way. Trusting the Lord to keep his promises. Trusting the Lord to give you grace. It's God's will for you to have a child at 90. He'll give you the grace for that. It's my suspicion that's not going to be the case for most of us here. But God is, God is able to do what he wants to do in your life. Parenting, it's a great reminder of our weakness. The things that we can't do. But that doesn't mean we quit. It means we say, God, it's got to be of you. I'm going to be excited to see how you are going to accomplish your purpose in my life. And again, to all the ladies among us, and we guys can learn from it as well. God, Sarah is an example of how God can use even a failing, struggling believer to be a blessing in the lives of others. Of course, the greatest gift she gave us was her son, who gave us a son, who gave us a son, who gave us Jesus Christ, our Lord. If you have yet to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, that's the message for you. You cannot do it. You cannot get to heaven by your imaginations and efforts. It's a gift received by faith. For by grace you're saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Receive the gift of salvation if you have yet to. For those of us who know Christ as Savior, trust him. 
for his grace. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for Sarah, who's a model for us of faith. Lord, I pray for the mothers among us who may sense their, their challenges and struggles. Grant them, Lord, the confidence in your grace. Father, for each of us, your children, we do falter, we do fumble. Lord, help us to see your strength as the, as the key that we need, not our own. And Lord, I pray that each one here would know the Savior as Sarah did, trusting in him for salvation. We pray in Jesus' name.